a priest and a dog walk into a bar. Now, this may sound like the setup to a joke. This is actually the beginning of a story that began unfolding for me a few weeks back. The priest is named Father Bill Miller, the dog, nah, Willie Willie Nelson, and the bar is Abita Springs' own Abita Brewery Tap Room. It was a packed house at the tap room of the Abita Brewery that evening, and I was the guy sitting alone at the bar with headphones on and a recorder, nursing an Andigator, one of my favorite local beers made by the Abita Brewery. Why were all these folks gathered? They were gathered to hear stories about dogs, and one dog in particular, Na Willie Willie Nelson. Father Bill and Na Willie Willie Nelson were going to be embarking on a three-week road trip through the Southwest not too different from the route that I had just taken with my family just uh, in the weeks leading up to this. I had met Father Bill Miller uh, a couple of months before. We had got some Thai food and got to know each other, and I I thought he was a rather interesting individual, the author of several books, um, The Gospel According to Sam, one of his dogs, and The Beer Drinker's Guide to Knowing God. And I got to thinking that this had all the elements of a good story. Beer, dogs, spirituality, a priest, and a road trip through the Southwest. It's extra crispy podcast of curious conversations with me, your host, Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, I sit down with Father Bill Miller, an Episcopal priest at Christ Episcopal Church in Covington, Louisiana. We recorded this conversation at Father Bill's home in Covington uh, with an audience of three rescue dogs in our midst, one who will feature largely in his upcoming tour, not Willie Willie Nelson. So here we go with another Extra Crispy Conversation. All right, well, so here I am with... uh, Father Bill, uh, William Miller, who is an uh, Episcopal priest here in Covington, uh, Christ Episcopal? Christ Episcopal Church, yeah. Christ Episcopal yeah. Church, and uh, I I think I got connected with you because there were some people in your church that would hear me out playing music, and they kept telling me, ah, oh, you got to meet the, the new guy at our church, uh, uh, Father Bill, he's, uh, he's a cool guy, I think you'd like him, I think you'd hit it off, and, and then I kind of looked you up on Facebook, and uh, I was intrigued when I saw the... Uh, Beer Drinker's Guide to Knowing God, I was like, I, you know, <laughs> not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but I was like, yeah. I, I think I, I, I think I could get along with this guy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a book that has broad appeal, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> so wh- why, why don't we just uh, start there? When, when, uh, tell us a little bit about that book and kind of... Yeah, so that was my second book that I wrote, The Beer Drinker's Guide to God, and uh, I owned a bar for uh, about eight years out in a little town in far west texas called marfa marfa i've M-A-R. been to marfa you have it yes. well there they, there are four of us who've been there yeah. so <laughs> we could form a club yes um it's a really interesting quirky little town it's where the movie giant was filmed with yeah. elizabeth taylor and rock hudson uh more recently no country for old men it's become sort of a a hipster hangout, but it's really just a dusty little town. In the when I the try desert. to describe where I grew up, people are like, where'd you grow up? I'm like, out in West Texas. And, and I always go back to, like, no country for old men. Like, that's yeah. that's what it looks yeah. like where I grew up. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's a fascinating place, and it's, it's actually a great place to hang out. Marfa is uh, a town of only about 1,900 people, but it's at 5,000 feet. A lot of artists, a lot of creative folks there. The predominant language is Spanish. You're not far from Mexico. A lot of cowboys, yeah. some retired folks looking for a cooler climate. 
So we, we started this bar um, maybe eight or nine years ago called Padres. And, and were you a, a, you were a priest at the same time? Yep, I was a okay. priest at the same time. And interestingly enough, I would say half of my investors were musicians and the other half were Episcopalians, including a 90-year-old woman who had been chair of the Altar Guild at Historic Trinity Episcopal Church in Houston. Her name was Suzanne Nowatney, and uh, she came up to me one day and she said, uh, you know, it's been on my bucket list to own a bar, and I figure this is my only chance. So wow. <laughs> she was one of our <laughs> original investors. and uh, So you can't do that in the evangelical church, like <laughs> trying to get people to support you on a bar. That's a little the, bit of a stretch. The, so. there, are, there are advantages to being a whiskey palian. Where two or three are gathered, there's always a yeah, fifth. Yeah. So um, we, we had a great run with Padres, but what I discovered in going out and – uh, tending bar and in washing dishes and in you know producing some music shows out there, including a gospel show we did yeah. every Memorial Day on a Sunday. Um, you know there there are a lot of similarities between doing church and doing any kind of a watering hole, a gathering place, yeah. people people you know a place for people to come together, be themselves, be in community, confess, fall in love, yeah, um, you know, be heard. Uh, a place where everybody knows your name, as yeah. the song goes. Yeah. And so um, I guess in some ways this book came out of that experience of seeing how over a beverage, and it didn't have to be a beer, but beer was the universal beverage. It was the one, you know, as I traveled around the world, um, a lot of times I would connect with people uh, with the question, and the question would often be posed by them wherever I was, Hey, can you have a beer together? You know, let's yeah. go to the local pub, have a beer, get to know each other, have some conversation. And so over this beverage, uh, some really beautiful and interesting connections were made. And so I think that's that's the basic theme of the collection of stories in the Beer Drinker's Guide. Um, there's another theme, and I think that comes from the Psalms, taste and see that God is good. Yeah. And as we experience creation in all its fullness as we savor it we're more likely to share it yeah and so there's really an ethical dimension to that the more we appreciate god's good gifts it's not that we avoid them and reject them and yeah. oh no <laughs> but if we really appreciate them uh and savor them i think we're much more likely to live moral lives and and want to share yeah want to share from that place of abundance and place of a blessing. And so the Beer Drinker's Guide to God, the whole and holy truth about lager loving and living. <laughs> uh, interesting that they chose that as the uh, the rest of the title of the book. But um, it, it was really a fun book to write. And it's really just a collection of stories of encounters with people and things that I've learned. Theology is interwoven mm -hmm. into the narrative. Yeah. And uh I've been really blessed to have a lot of different life experiences, both in my church life and in owning the bar, in traveling, in my writing and speaking life, in my love life. I mean, in every aspect of, of life, it's been really interesting, and I've learned a lot. And so it's, it was fun to share that and also to share it from a more earthy, more honest, more humorous perspective, which I think is really missing from a lot of spiritual writing. In fact, I think it's quite rare. Oh, yeah. Well, it's interesting <laughs> what you say about, you know, beer kind of, beer drinking, bringing people together. Um, uh, what, what was it? Uh, ben Franklin who said, you know, beer is proof that God's, Loves us, God I think. Loves us and wants us to be happy. <laughs> and wants us That's to be right. happy. Yeah, and yeah, and there's some, there's some, uh, there are some historians who question whether Ben yeah. Franklin really said that. But you know what? Surely he thought it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. It'll preach. But it, it, preach. it is interesting. I experienced this uh, right after Katrina. I was living on the South Shore, and the the church that I was going to at the time, uh, uh, the the Kenner Vineyard Church, um, which was a, a pretty good sized church down there. I don't know, fifteen hundred, two thousand mm. people, but we had uh we had this relief camp we set up next to the church that we'd have like 60 or so people staying there every week and i was cooking barbecue for them all the time that was my main job during you know post katrina mm. 
and um, we would have our, our weekly worship team practice on a Tuesday night, and we, a bunch of the guys, we would get get together out back, like we joke about the bad kids hanging out behind the church, <laughs> and, um, and, and have cigars on like a Tuesday night, along with members from these teams that were from mm. all over the United States, mm-hmm. different denominations mm-hmm. and stuff, just coming in to help the area. And it was interesting because we had the I was I was hanging out with my friend uh, Doug Anderson one night and we were smoking cigars. He was like the guy who got me turned on to smoking cigars. And uh, <laughs> but he he brought up an interesting point, and I think it's true about beer as well that a cigar there's there's very few places in the world where guys mm. intentionally hang out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it seems easier for women to to just kind of pick up anywhere. You know, a, a little bit easier for women. Uh, not to paint women with too too broad of a stroke, but it does seem like women are a little bit easier to naturally wired to 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 have relationship, um, you know. Whereas guys right. need some kind of an excuse. Like guys That's can't right. just go deep about stuff, or you know. But a cigar allows you this kind of intentionality for we're going to be here for you know an hour and a half, and and it is amazing because my friend Doug says. Yeah, about about halfway through the cigars when you get to the good stuff. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> in the conversation, yeah. and and you you kind of walk away, and and that was kind of an interesting thing for me because I just I, I began to see that uh, there's so many guys in our in our culture that just feel very kind of you know the, the living lives of quiet desperation, so to speak. You know that they don't have any kind of place or intentionality in their life where they can actually you know not not go deep and heavy but where they can actually be open and honest and, and have dialogue about things and and it was it was a beautiful thing but a- absolutely and i you know i've noticed that about uh, about men in my congregation and in the community you know the simple invitation hey let's meet up for a beer sometime you know that opens up a door yeah and uh you know gives people uh the catalyst that allows us to connect you know we often connect as men around an activity yeah you know whether it's fishing or hiking or going to a ball game or watching a game uh but over a beverage it really gives us a chance to to go a little deeper with our conversation and i think a lot of people are looking for that it was interesting um i grew up in a fundamentalist tradition that was very rigid very yeah. anti-alcohol uh, you know, and it, it took some years to kind of work. Where'd you go up, that. grow up? By the way? I grew up in Houston okay. and in the church of Christ, the non-instrumental music yes. uh, church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, some really good people yeah. that I knew growing up in that tradition, tradition, some core truths that stayed with me over time. Uh, I knew that God knew my name and cared about me. And yeah. so that, that kind of core stuff stayed with me. Uh, but also the judgmental, you know, looking over my shoulder yeah. uh, kind of approach to religion was not healthy. And so I had to work through that and, and kind of rid myself of a lot of that. So I was in Nashville not too long ago, and I was speaking on the Beer Drinker's Guide to God. And I couldn't believe it, but some young guys, some young college students from a Church of Christ college in nashville lipscomb university yeah and i went to abilene christian i went to a church yeah. of christ university you wouldn't dare drink or dance or even dance at that time you know if think you, about it i mean you could wearing shorts was uh, was problematic um and and these guys are brewing beer together and on their t-shirts they had a slogan uh, beer makes community, and they had come together wow. in community to brew this beer, and um, they were all, you know, devout in their faith. They were connected in their faith, and beer was the the catalyst. It was the the you know the activity that brought them together, and they came out in force. They brought samples of their beer, and to look back and think these were guys who were part of a denomination. Uh, a denomination uh, in which I had a lot of fear and, you know, experienced a lot of judgment growing up. And I was very happy to see that, at least in their case, you know, it had gotten to the point where they were much more liberated and open and free to experience some of these great blessings that God has entrusted to us, like cigars. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) All in moderation, all in moderation, you know, but... 
you know, some of my fondest memories tra- traveling have been, you know, sharing a cigar and a beverage with yeah. uh, with a buddy. Totally. And uh, having a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So you, you grew up uh, Church of Christ, um, fundamentalist kind of. Um, how how what was the what's the path how you end up uh, an episcopal priest what you mean other than the 10 years of therapy <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> yeah other than the intense therapy um you i know, mean i have to imagine <laughs> uh, you know it, i may be projecting yeah. on you a little bit but i remember you know i i went through very much a fundamentalist uh phase in my life you know like when i was like 12 years old i i went to a not sure what type of Baptist it was, um, but it was like super fundamentalist, like a, a Christian school, because I really mm-hmm. felt called into ministry at a at a young age. And I'm like, I beg my parents to let me go to this Christian school, and I go there, and oh, I was in detention every day for like 45, <laughs> because of one day I said the word Beatles, like the band Beatles. I just mentioned oh their names, and I got detention for 45 minutes. No, just think if you had said Rolling Stone. Oh, I God. Mean, oh, the, yeah. Even in the context of resurrection. I mean, my goodness. Yeah. And, uh. and it, was, it was kind of a, a strange thing, because I remember at that point in my life, when it came to, like, you know, any mainline denominations or, or Catholic or anything, it's like, they're just, they're not going to heaven, you know? I mean, right. I was just kind of right. taught to... So I, I don't know if it was that way for you in, in the Church of Christ, but but it seems like, at least from where I was at, like Episcopal priest probably would have been the, the furthest thing well, that I could it, ever it, it, It's kind of funny. My, um, my parents, uh, who were very active and very devout in their faith, and again, you know, like I said, they left me with some core yeah. truths and values that I still treasure and I still hold on to to this day. But they were uh, not supportive at all of my becoming an Episcopalian or becoming anything other than Church of yeah. Christ. And it's really funny when people would come up to me, you know, over the years and uh, ask me, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an Episcopal priest. Well, I know your parents must be very proud of you. <laughs> and uh, it was a little awkward to say, uh, well, actually, what I like to tell people is my parents would have been disappointed had I become a pimp, but they were devastated that I became a priest. Wow! And <laughs> it takes a, it takes a, folks a moment for that to register. But yeah. they were really, really crushed that I, uh, you know, went to the to the dark side. Yeah. In, in their opinion, and of course, you know, as they, uh, at least my mother attended some services uh, when I was serving as a preach a priest, and she heard me preach, you know, from the yeah. pulpit as a priest. And heard me wrestle with scriptures just like uh, her preacher did, and heard me, you know, try to impart a positive word of, of truth, uh, something that would be helpful and inspiring. I think she began to see that uh, some of her stereotypes and miscon- misconceptions weren't uh, founded on truth and reality. Um, but it, you know, it, it definitely took me a while. It was a there was an evolution that took place in my own mind, and I think. Part of it began just by reading and being open to different theological interpretations of Scripture, uh, different ways of discerning truth. Uh, Travel certainly opened up my heart. Uh, Meeting people who didn't share a particular religious viewpoint, who were good and thoughtful and compassionate and filled with light and life and love, you know, that opened up some things for me. So... I was delighted when I began the transition and discovered the Episcopal Church, the uh, Anglican tradition, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the Celtic expression of Christianity, and um, it it really worked for me. And it, you know, as a creative person in particular, we've we've kind of done done pretty well with the arts over the years. Yeah. Uh, we produced a lot more poets and writers than theologians but that's okay you know it's it's who we are and it's been a it's been a great fit for me and it's allowed me to be very honest uh in my writing and in my preaching so what were you you mentioned kind of being exposed to some artists i mean uh authors or or writers that maybe helped you consider things in a different way what what were some some that have been 
a key in well it was it was interesting when i was in uh college at abilene christian as a church of christ boy uh i uh, i had some really fine uh biblical scholars as teachers who you could kind of read between the lines sometimes and they would say now i'm not necessarily advocating you know this particular understanding but here are some things you need to know about you know you need to know that in biblical scholarship uh, there are all of these strands of understanding and, and how we understand a text and how a text came to be. And, uh, you know, in, in some of those, quote, original versions, there's real confusion as yeah. to about which, you know, what was said and what the redactor put in and all of that. And it just began to kind of open me up to, to reading, you know, some other theologians. And then when I went to seminary in Chicago to McCormick Seminary, which was a Presbyterian school, uh, that process continued. And, you know, the circle of influence there began to grow and expand. And I was exposed to the art scene in Chicago and the blues scene. And I began to learn from that and realize that oh, wow, the blues are really the Psalms. And, you know, there's there's a lot to learn here. Uh, from folks who may not be particularly Christian, you know, but who possess a great deal of wisdom and a great deal of truth and compassion and have learned a lot over the course of their lives. And so, you know, that's continued as I've, I've traveled to Tibet and India and yeah. all over the world, really, and just met some extraordinary people and, and had conversation with them like you and I are having yeah. right now. Uh, and it's just opened up a whole new world. And, and I think... You know, that has become kind of a mantra and a core truth for me, that whole posture of receptivity and openness. Yeah, you know, just yeah. stay stay open. Uh, the Holy Spirit moves in the world and mm-hmm. among us and within us. And if you, if you stay open, uh, truth will be revealed. But yeah. once you, you know, dot all the I's, you know, cross all your T's and shut the book, uh, and close your heart and your mind, yeah. it, it is over for you because you're not going to grow, you're not going to learn, yeah. uh, you're not going to evolve as a human being or as a person of faith. much as books have influenced me and, and teachers and things like that, I'd say the probably the biggest point of formation um, or, or, or that's, that's got me to change my mind on a few things has been conversations, you know, yes. where yes. You, you sit down, you break bread, you have a beer with somebody and you you think that they're so different from you and then you're like wow you know they kind of really want the same things maybe they're coming at it a different way actually that's right maybe they got something to teach me (laughs) yeah yeah well you know the key i think is the ability to listen and in in our culture today in our society we're really not very good at listening when people are talking we're typically not really taking it in as much as we're formulating a response to represent our own viewpoint
I have this thing called the beer test. And um, the, so here, here is the beer test. And I think it, I think it can go a long way toward uh, helping us make uh, informed, moral, and ethical choices. So you're listening to somebody, and the, you disagree with the person, and you're just you're not sure. You know, you, you just you're, you're thinking, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know that that's that's true or that's that's right. Ask yourself this question. Is this a person with whom I'd want to have a beer? <laughs> and if you, if you can answer yes, even if you disagree yeah. with this person, what it tells you is that this person is a quality human being, you know, who has something to, yeah. to share. And if, if the answer is yes, then there's probably a lot to learn from that person. Mm, that person yeah. probably has a good heart and is on the path even if there are some real differences in how you view spirituality yeah. or life. By the way, that's not me panting. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's my dog, Mahalia Jackson, Queen Lilio Kalani. Uh, she goes by Lily. Uh, and then the, just the, the last thing I'll say about that beer test, if at the end of that beer that you've shared with that person, if that person picks up the tab, you can be certain that they represent God. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I like that. Words of wisdom here. <laughs> Learning all kinds of stuff. What are the things that that maybe you've struggled with as far as like doubt? You know, uh, you, like do do you do you ever struggle with faith and doubt? And, and every God? day, okay, <laughs> <laughs> every day. Yeah, um, you know, I think probably the 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 thing that has been most helpful for me in terms of struggling with doubt is that honoring the question, yeah, and asking the important questions are really kind of the essence of the spiritual path. It's yeah. not getting everything figured out. It's not having all the right answers. But, you know, really seeking, uh, you know, seek and you will find. Yeah. That's an important component of the, the spiritual path. And um, you may not find it immediately. I mean, yeah. it may be revealed in God's time, which could be beyond the scope of our lifetime. And I think where, you know, uh, where we fall short is when we don't honor those questions and when we don't honor that doubt. There's a writer by the name of Fred Beekner, and one of my oh, yeah. favorite favorite yeah. quotes of Beekner is, uh, "Doubt is the ants in the pants of faith." You know, it it kind of keeps us it keeps us antsy, it keeps us yeah. moving, it keeps us lively, and uh, you know, for me, that's 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 part of it. That is a big part of the the spiritual journey. I think the most uh, disappointing thing for me in terms of being uh, a person of faith and a pastor is when I see things being said uh, by people of faith or ministers or people who um, assume that they are representing God that are judgmental or hateful or yeah. divisive or, um, you know, all of those things that are really antithetical to God's love. I mean, the great commandments uh, really sort of transcend all religion, I think. You know, yeah. to love God with everything you've got, uh, to count your blessings and be grateful, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, yeah. your neighbor being every other human being, those uh, who are different from you, those you disagree with, and... Um, so, you know, when I, when I see and hear things that don't articulate those kind, uh, kinds of values, and I see it a lot. Yeah, sure. Uh, it makes me angry and it makes me upset. Um, so, you know, those are the things that, that uh, I think are harmful uh, in the religious world. And, um, you know, I'm doing my part to, to speak out and, and hopefully... Uh, reach a particular audience, maybe folks who wouldn't ordinarily think about yeah. uh, religious things or theology. And um, I've had, it's interesting, in writing the two books, The Gospel According to Sam and The Beer Drinker's Guide to God, Sam being my first dog, 
I've had uh, interesting responses. Every once in a while, there'll be somebody who's rather rigid in yeah. terms of thinking who will email me or write a critical review saying, you know, who does this guy think he is and this is terrible. And uh, But most of the time, you know, 95% of the time, I will hear from people from a broad spectrum of theological understanding and political, mm-hmm. you know, belief, uh, political orientation, who will say, you know, um, I, I'm really an atheist, but maybe there's, maybe, you know, the door has been cracked, yeah. you know, the, the, maybe there's a possibility. I, I appreciate, you know, what you said and how you said it. And uh, I've heard from fundamentalist Christians who said, thank you. You know, you yeah. just, just kind of captured uh, all those things that uh, were very harmful to me emotionally, you yeah. know, as I was growing up. And you gave me permission to deal with them and to reject them and to renounce them and to move on in, yeah. a, in a healthy way. So, so eh. f- as far as being a, an author, um, how, what, what did that journey look? I mean, did you, did you, you were always a writer or is that something, something that kind you of know, just developed? It, it's interesting. It, it's so important for us to have people along our journeys who affirm us yeah. and who recognize gifts within us. And that's why I, I try to do that with younger people. You know, if I mm-hmm. see a child who is passionate or gifted, uh, I really try to make it a point to to say, "Hey, you got some, you got a gift there. Yeah. You know, you, you should explore that and honor honor your creator by using that gift and developing that gift." So, way back in elementary school, we were given a writing assignment in a class, and the the assignment was to write a letter to our parents. And a lot of the kids in class wanted to know, you know, what are we supposed to say? You know, what's the, you know, give us an example. And I just said, okay, letter to my parents. What do I, you know, what do I want to say to them? What do I want to, what do I want to thank them for? What am I grateful to them for? And so I wrote it from my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote it from my heart. It, it wasn't perhaps the most polished thing ever written, but it came from my heart. And I remember the teacher asking permission if she could share my letter to my parents with the class. And, and she said something like, this is what I was hoping you would do. Wow. <laughs> and, it, and so I guess a seed was planted in that moment that, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I have a gift or maybe I have a way of speaking from the heart. I got into 11th grade and I had a, an extraordinary English teacher and uh, she said to us the first day of class, I'm going to teach you guys how to write. And I remember thinking, well, you're not going to teach me a whole lot because I know how to write. You, you know, <laughs> Mrs. Roy back in fifth grade said, can I use you as an example for the class? <laughs> and uh, she, so she gave us the, the first assignment, and uh, we all wrote our essay. I turned it in. It came back. I have never seen more red in my entire life uh, if it wasn't a bottle of ketchup. Yeah. F. And she wrote on my paper, you can do better than this, fix it. And the thing about her teaching style is she didn't just give us a grade. She told us what needed to be fixed and what we could do better and how we might do it. And so we had to turn those papers back in. And sometimes we had to turn them in a third or fourth time until she felt like we were giving it our very best. And we were, you know, we had learned something. So uh, she helped me learn how to write, and then as I began to write sermons uh, weekly, I had a couple of people in my congregation in Austin who were professional writers, and they affirmed me and said, you know what, you need to take some time and begin to write, and, you know, maybe do a book, and so I negotiated with my congregation to have some time, and I took a sabbatical one summer. And I wrote some stories, and I'll never forget uh, the feedback I got from these two writers, which was very positive. And yet, it was also critical. They helped me, you know, become a better writer. But the most important thing that one of them said to me, and this was an Academy Award-nominated writer. He was was a very fine writer. He said, you are a writer. You are a writer. And so he gave me permission— to pursue that part of my vocation. 
And uh, I collected these stories, turned them into an agent, and the agent said, I really like what you've done. And by the way, did you notice your dog Sam keeps appearing in the narrative? (laughs) He said, I think you should go with that theme because I hadn't really set out to write about animals or about my dog. But apparently Sam was extraordinarily important to me, and I was learning a lot from him. And so I just continued, um, and as I traveled, I began to pay attention to animals and write about them, and that became my first book, The Gospel According to Sam. Get out. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I wanted to tell you briefly Sam's story, because Sam was my first experience with a critter. His name was Sam Houston, and he was an Airedale terrier. His very handsome face is on the cover of my first book. And he had a great story. He was 82 pounds. His name was Sam Houston. He was at my ex-girlfriend Rachel's apartment one Sunday morning doing what he did best, taking a nap. And she just happened to come to church that morning. There was a gas leak in the apartment. There was an explosion. The apartment went up in flames. The flames swept across Sam. He was badly burned. He ran and hid in a closet, burrowed under some clothes, and began howling in pain. Now, a lot of people, when they see something dangerous, the natural human inclination is to run the other direction, to run away from the threats. But these two guys next door, who weren't overtly religious, but lived one of the greatest commandments, which is really the essence of true religion, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. They loved their neighbor, in this case, Sam. And they actually ran up the stairs, kicked in the door as flames were coming out of the apartment, ran through the flames, scooped up Sam, and carried him to safety and saved his life. So Sam ended up losing his ears in the fire, and he became known throughout Austin as the fearless, earless Airedale. The fire inspector's official report on the fire said, and I quote, cause of fire, dog turned on gas jet. (laughs) So the next week, without ears, uh, Sam was just starting to feel a little bit better, and the neighbors threw Sam a get-well party. And they elected him mayor of Austin, where as far as I know, he is still mayor. And they unfurled banners from second-story windows that read, Get well, Sam. And Sam is innocent. (laughs) So the fearless, earless Airedale uh, became my partner in crime, and I began to pay attention to him as he interacted with the human and animal world. And that became a book of our life together called The Gospel According to Sam. And he lived to the ripe old age of 12 and had a great Great life. So, how important do you think it is for you as a as a priest, somebody who's in ministry full time, to kind of have this other this other thing you do? Well, first of all, I have to have clarity in my own heart about yeah. it that it's a vocation, that it is a gift that I have. It is a calling, mm-hmm. uh, a calling from God. Because a lot of people in this world are going to project their own sense of inadequacy or their own disappointment uh, onto you, especially as a clergy person or a priest. And so uh, just to be clear about that and to to let folks know, hey, this is important to me, I'm going to give you all I've got with my pastoral duties, but I'm also going to honor this part of my vocation. And... uh, it's really important to, to say that not everybody gets it and not everybody is going to be supportive. Uh, and so that's why it's so important that I'm clear yeah, about it and yeah. I can articulate it and I can give my, myself permission because trust me, there are days when I think, Oh my goodness, I've, I've got so much I've got to do. And, and I, and you know, I want to be faithful to my commitment to my congregation and to my people, but I also want to be faithful to this other part of who I am and what I do. And truthfully, that part of me benefits my ministry and oh, my yeah. church. Yeah, that totally. reaches people, that brings people in, that helps us as a community connect yeah. with people we might not ordinarily connect with. 
Uh, and so it's been an interesting thing to have a dual vocation. Yeah. And, it, and it's challenging, especially at a large church like the one I have here in sure. Covington, yeah. where we have a school and we have a retirement center. And truthfully, these first two years have been very challenging for me to, to find time, yeah. to make time, to write. And I haven't done a very good job. So I'm going to recommit to being better. <laughs> so so is, is writing for you, is, I mean, I've heard various philosophies. Do you, uh, do you try to have a set time every week where you're just like, I'm going to write something? Or, or is it more yeah. like, uh, I'm going to wait for inspiration <laughs> or, you know, just try to... Yeah, you know, I, I think that it's, it's both of those yeah. things. But you really have to sit down at a desk with a pen and paper or sit down in front yeah. of your laptop. You've got to carve out the time yeah. so that when the muse does begin to speak, you are paying attention yeah. and you are not distracted. <laughs> now, it is true that the muse does have to speak, and we do have to feed the muse. Yeah. And so, you know, in my own life, uh, I feed that muse by reading, by traveling, by going to hear music, by going to a play, uh, by just opening myself up to, to life experiences. But I really think you have to be disciplined. I mean, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a big part of it, you know, carving out time and space. Uh, for me, I tend to carve out blocks of time in the yeah. summer or maybe a week here and a week there. There are writers who are very good about getting up every day at 4 or 5 a.m. and, you know, <laughs> carving out three or four hours uh, I hope someday right. I can do that. Maybe retirement, I'll be yeah. able to do that. I was reminded. Uh, I read a book by this guy, um, Peter Block, who uh, he wrote this interesting book called "The Answer to How Is Yes." It's kind of interesting <laughs> uh, title, but he, you know, he said in that book, you know, one of the things we have to do is take responsibility for our own lives. You know, mm. um, that, mm. that so often we find ourselves miserable because or, or we've got these simmering resentments because we feel we're living in this place that we're at the whims of all these other things. But oftentimes it's because we haven't made like what you said, the hard decisions up front to like, Hey, this is where I, this is kind of what I need to thrive here. If, That's if, right. if I'm going to be the, the priest of this place or whatever. And well, and it's a huge step yeah. just to give yourself permission to be and to do that and to pursue that path. And it's interesting that you used, you know, the lyric, lyric yeah. writing, because in a, in a lyric uh, for a song, in a poem, you pack a lot in yeah. to a few words. And, um, you know, there's a chapter in the Beer Drinker's Guide called A Different Key. And it's, and I quote Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. And basically, he celebrates himself, you know, in, in all of his <laughs> yeah. uh, imperfection and all of his uniqueness. And we feel awkward about that. Yeah. And yet we're created in the image of God. Yeah. You know, God looks at us and says, I sure did a good job when I, you know, when yeah. I made you and I want you to be who you are. And there's nobody else quite like you. There's nobody else who's had the life experience you've had who has the combination of gifts that you have, yeah. who is able to do exactly what you do. And I give you permission to be that and pursue that because yeah. we live in a society, whether we're in the secular world or the religious world, uh, in whatever context we find ourselves, we live in a place where people are going to try to dictate who they think we should be. Yeah. And who they need us to be and want us to be. Which is huge in the church world. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And you'll get some kickback. You know, uh, uh, I've had a, a number of uh, incidents over the course of my ministry where my bishop called me and said, hey, I just want you to know that there is a uh, person in your congregation who's unhappy with X, Y, Z, whatever. <laughs> and fortunately, I've had bishops in my ministry who have been very spiritually mature and psychologically healthy and have basically said, I got your back. I, you know, I know you're oh, doing cool. good work and uh, I just want you to know, you know what I know. And, uh, but, uh, it's never come from a place of judgment yeah. or, uh, oh my goodness, you know, I'm getting all freaked out here because yeah. somebody's <laughs> complaining and somebody doesn't get it. Uh, but it's really important. I mean, it's important in terms of, you know, becoming the the person God wants us to be. Uh, 
uh, being true to God. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not about, uh, uh, there, there's only one judge. It's yeah. not Simon Cowell. You know, it's not our employers. It's really not anybody except the one who created us and knows us best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. So we're surrounded by canines here. Um, Yes, and I'm going to blame knocking over that bottle of mineral water on one of them. It must have been Sinbad. His Sinbad. name is Sinbad. Sinbad. It's always the sinner of the the bad sinner of them. Um, oh, I've got a dog underneath me here. Um, so yesterday I attended – was it yesterday? Oh, no, Monday. Monday, yeah. Uh, the, which kind of gave me the idea for even inviting you on the podcast uh, – I just saw something on Facebook last week. I was like, uh, Barket List Tour last time. I was like, what? I was like, what? I have no idea what I was getting into when I showed up uh, the other night, which is often kind of a fun way to do things. But Yeah, uh, yeah. So what, what, what's up with uh, your dog, uh, Na Willy Willy Nelson? And Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Na Willy Willy Nelson is from the island of Kauai, and he was named because uh, – I had moved there from Texas, uh, come from a family of fourth-generation Texans, so I was looking for a name that combined my Texas roots with my new Hawaiian home. And Na Willy Willy Harbor on the island of Kauai is where all the ships come in, and there was a watering hole there called the Na Willy Willy Tavern, and I had discovered it early on, and uh, the owner of the Na Willy Willy Tavern um, was actually a an occasional parishioner at my church, yeah. but he gave me my clergy discount whenever I would go there and, <laughs> Heck yeah. and order my beverages. And so when I, <clears throat> when I found this critter at the Kauai... Do they, do they have any of those discounts locally? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll give me a you, list. I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted if we find something. But now Willie Willie Nelson uh, became my best friend. And as I just mentioned his name, of course, he is standing up. Yeah. Uh, oh, now, now he's going back to chewing on himself. Um, he and I have been partners in, uh, in not just in crime but in compassion uh, for almost 12 years. Wow. And, he, you know, he's been with me through thick and thin. And for uh, many of my years on the island of Kauai, I was single and not in a relationship. And so it was just the two of us. And then back in November, we were in New Orleans staying at a friend's house. We were there for a conference, and I got home one night, and he wouldn't eat, and he wouldn't move. And I knew there was something really wrong with him, and so I took him to the 24-hour vet. And next day, got the the very devastating news that he had cancer. It had spread to his lymph nodes, and he had as few as three months to live, even if I had surgery and did chemotherapy and all of that. Well, uh, you know, we talked to the doctors, and I did do the surgery and the chemotherapy, but I also started uh, doing some natural treatments. I had a natural vet in my congregation here, and she did acupuncture with Willie. And gave I've him never some... heard of acupuncture for uh, yeah, dogs yeah, yeah, before. Yeah, wow. yeah. And, uh, How he, do dogs respond to they, well, getting Well, I think, I think it's helpful. <laughs> so this guy, Sinbad, has had acupuncture as well. And, you know, it's just a different approach yeah, to, yeah. to healing. And uh, I just think that's kinda, a good day, way to get bit by a dog. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, I think it opens them up like it, it you know, theoretically opens, yeah. opens up us up to channels of healing. And I don't think it's hurt him. And then she put him on some Chinese herbs and, and changed his diet. So I've been yeah. feeding him a healthy diet, which I think we can all agree is a better way to live. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, when I want to be healthy, I just eat his food because it's <laughs> turkey and vegetables. Oh. <laughs> but he is now in his eighth month, and um, he's doing well. And I got to thinking about how important it is for us to cherish and celebrate our relationships with those we love, yeah. whether it's a pet, whether it's a partner, whether it's a family member, a good friend. And we often get way too busy. And we get distracted, and we don't value the things that are most valuable, our relationships. Yeah. And so I decided that we would do this last hallelujah tour. And <laughs> the two of us would go on a road trip, and we would go from New Orleans to Las Vegas. And we would just put it out there and let people know we were coming. And we were going to be sharing dog stories along the way, sharing his story, sharing Sam's story. 
uh, Lily's story, Sinbad's story, because they all have compelling stories, as <laughs> every animal and yeah. every human being has. And uh, we ended up with uh, uh, 18 cities and 23 events over the next uh, two weeks or so, from wow. New Orleans to Las Vegas. We're going to be at churches, uh, bookstores, breweries, barbecue restaurants, which is Willie's favorite. And uh, just kind of sharing stories and uh, reminding people uh, how important our relationships are and to take time uh, to spend time with those we love. And also raising awareness of uh, the good work that animal rescue organizations are doing along the way. All the donations uh, from our appearances and a portion of the book sales are going to go to local uh, animal relief organizations. And it's kind of... Are these all rescue dogs here? They are. Okay, yep, cool. Yep. Uh, uh, S- Willie, Lily, and Silly, or Sinbad, yeah. uh, all uh, are rescue animals. And, you know, just to remind people what great pets they make. Yeah. Uh, they're, they, they're just so grateful uh, for the opportunity to have a forever family. And these guys... You know, they're all distinct. They've got their own unique set Mm -hmm. of challenges like every human person does. Yeah. Uh, But I really, really love them, and they have uh, enriched my life. So Willie and I are going to take off and celebrate our life together, and I hope he makes it to the end. But if he doesn't, I'm going to give thanks for every day that we share along the way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. If there are people who are interested in – uh, your books, where can they find yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So the best ways to the best place to track me down is on my website, mm-hmm. which is easy, fatherbill.net. Okay. Or if they're on Facebook, it's William Miller Author. Or if they're more visual and they prefer Instagram, it's Kahuna Padre. Kahuna Padre. <laughs> Kahuna Padre One. Yeah, you on got Instagram. some interesting uh, names going on. There. You, you get you get bonus <laughs> got, points. Got to keep it interesting. <laughs> got to keep it interesting. All those dual identities. <laughs> Well, uh, Father Bill, it's been uh, great uh, talking with you today, and yeah, look forward to, to touching base when we get back and hearing some stories about the, the uh, road trip. And maybe, yeah. maybe we have a beer, some a beer sometime. Uh, by the way, this uh, Carbach uh, Staycation beer was quite good. Speaking of beer. Texas beers, Speaking there you go. Texas yeah. Beers. <laughs> well, I, I think I'm going to learn some things on this uh, on this road trip with Willie, so it should yeah. be fun. Well, cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for the time, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you down the road. Thank you, man. All right. Extra Crispy is produced by myself. All the music you've heard on this episode are original recordings. Without the vocals from various albums that I've recorded, which you can find on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your digital music. If you like what you hear, please give us a like on Facebook and leave a review on iTunes. And uh, why don't you tell a friend about it? And until next time, may all your conversations be extra crispy. Thanks for listening.